You're listening to the Oxfam podcast, the show where we share our learning and knowledge with the sector, so you can hear how we work, how we think, and why we do what we do. Remember, you can subscribe to us on all your usual podcast providers. Hello and welcome to the Oxfam podcast. I'm Francisca Mago, working as research lead on inequality and measurement topics here at Oxfam. And as part of our Real Geek series, we're today looking at learning from one of our evaluations, um, specifically of a cash for work project that was implemented in the Zatari refugee camp in Jordan. Today in this podcast, we're going to delve into how the project was implemented, how we went about evaluating it, some of the findings and what recommendations and changes have come about as a result. Helping me steer the conversation today is Simone Lombardini. He's Oxfam GB's Impact Evaluation Lead. Hello, Simone. Hi, Francisco. And we also have two of our colleagues on the line dialing in from Jordan who implemented this and many other projects in the Zatari camp. So we have Noor Ali, she's a mill officer at Oxfam in Jordan, and we have Tishome Mekonen, who is a mill manager at Oxfam in Jordan. Hi, Francisca. Hi, Francisca. So let's start with a bit of context uh, from Noor and Tishome. Can you give us an idea of what do people need to know about the Zatari camp and the work that Oxfam does in the Zatari camp? So uh, the Zatari camp was opened in 2012. It's currently hosting around 76,000 Syrian refugees. There are very few legally accessible working opportunities inside and outside the camp. And so with the purpose to provide as many refugees as possible with opportunities to participate in activities that allow them to generate income, uh, many agencies uh, acting in the camp resorted to a cash for work intervention. So Oxfam has started cash for work activities in 2014. These activities enable Oxfam to implement functioning projects while employing labor force from the camp. Such operations uh, fall under the WASH program, uh, focusing on providing water, sanitation and hygiene services, um, including improving solid waste management uh, and also collecting and sorting waste for recycling, maintaining functioning water systems in the camp, uh, and also running a functioning office by recruiting cash for workers as, for example, guards, cleaners, clerks for data entry or community mobilizers. So these cash for workers are selected from a recruitment process where most qualified candidates get the job for different durations of engagement. These positions are subjected to rotation to allow as many people as possible to get uh, the opportunities. These positions can be divided depending on the type of skills required for various jobs. So we have uh, semi-skilled positions, around 60% of the total, and the rest are uh, skilled, highly skilled and technical uh, positions. It should be noted that in any given week, Oxfam employs over 500 cash for workers. One essential component of uh, Oxfam intervention in the camp uh, we have different projects falling under the WASH program, such as uh, uh, solid waste management. We also have the recycling project and also all the uh, support to the water systems in the camp. Thank you, Noor, for the overview. And what's the scale of Oxfam's cash for work operation in the camp? How, how many people are working in these jobs? So Oxfam, the organization employing the highest number of cash for workers in the camp currently, around 2,300 cash for workers out of 5,800 cash for workers employed by all partners. And Tishome, 
since there's so many activities happening in parallel in the camp that have been going on for quite a while, what mechanisms are in place for monitoring and for feedback? We have uh, a talks from Jordan here in Jordan. We have a strong culture of accountability learning and a continuous uh, effort to uh, do improvements in operations and designs. So uh, we implement uh, uh, PDM, which is post-distribution uh, monitoring uh, after the uh, distribution of cash for work. Uh, we implement a community-built complaint and feedback mechanism. We implement uh, a, a number of um, monthly um, uh, monitoring using structured uh, uh, checklists. We use the result to uh, improve operations, uh, especially in improving the operational aspect of casual work, such as uh, rotation basis, uh, informing people, and other aspects of operations. Thank you, Noor and Tashome. This sounds really interesting. I think it would be useful to, to dive in in exactly how cash for work activities are implemented and what are the, the outcomes and, uh, and the objectives that they are trying to, to achieve. There's a, a whole theory of change underlying the cash for work intervention. This theory of change suggests that the less skilled refugees engaged they engage with semi-skilled cash for work activities. This provides them with access to short-term liquidity, which allows them to break even, which means they reach a minimum agreed consumption basket. The theory of change for more skilled workers suggests that by engaging with cash for work activities, refugees can improve their skills and knowledge, they improve their self-esteem and access a reliable economic opportunity. This is ultimately expected to have a positive impact on household income. In addition to this, by engaging men and women, cash for work activities are also expected to change the perceptions and attitudes towards women, women's economic role and possibly increase women's willingness to participate in the labor market. For these outcomes to actually materialize, there's a number of assumptions that need to hold true. For example, that the amount of, of cash and time for which the workers are engaged is sufficient to change consumption patterns within the household. Uh, another assumption is that refugees are acquiring skills that they did not have before. And uh, there's another assumption that all the households within the camp are equally vulnerable. And that's interesting because uh, evaluations that we conduct can actually challenge those assumptions to understand and learn what works and what doesn't work and to, if necessary, change our strategy. So we've heard a little bit about how Oxfam is monitoring the different activities that are happening in the camp in parallel and we've heard about the theory of change behind the cash for work program specifically and the areas and outcomes that it's trying to influence now bringing the two together i would like to ask simone to give some background on how we can implement an evaluation of a program that has been running for years and yet try to isolate the effect it has on participants how is this done thank you francisca this is Effectiveness review has been conducted as part of Oxfam's strategic evidence framework, previously known as Global Performance Framework. The effectiveness reviews are, in effect, impact evaluations of randomly selected projects conducted under five thematic areas, which are reflecting Oxfam's work. This effectiveness review was conducted under the thematic area of livelihoods. And the main question we were trying to answer is what is the impact of Oxfam's cash for work activities in its Zatari camp on household income? 
There were, of course, other secondary questions which were designed in conjunction with, uh, with colleagues uh, in Jordan. And this question included, what is the impact on other secondary outcomes, like the one that were previously mentioned on the theory of change, such as uh, uh, improving skills, uh, uh, improving self-esteem and women's empowerment. Then we wanted to explore also what are the stories experienced by refugees in accessing paid work, and what are the motivations behind that. And then, of course, there are questions around targeting and implementation. So trying to understand if cash for work activities are reaching the most vulnerable households and also if the frequency and duration of such activities is enough to increase household income and the other outcomes. Thank you. So let's get a bit geeky. Describe to the people listening how it's possible to come up with a research design and collecting the right data to understand if we've had an impact in those areas for a project that has been running for several years at this point? Of course. Here, as we said, is, this is an impact evaluation. So we are trying to estimate the impact. So establishing a causal relationship between uh, the intervention and the, uh, and the outcomes that we are observing. And um, for defectiveness reviews, for interventions with a large number of direct project participants, in order to establish this causal relationship, we mainly rely on a quasi-experimental impact evaluation design. What it means in practice is that we randomly select and conduct one-to-one structured interviews with a random sample of direct project participants, asking detailed questions ranging from household income, wealth, housing condition, and other outcomes related to the uh, theory of change of the project. And then what we do is to compare the respondents to a comparison group, so with the people who did not have the opportunity to participate into the intervention. In this specific uh, uh, evaluation, we exploit the fact that for skilled, highly skilled and technical positions, and we compare the responses to a comparison group. So we compare with a sample of people who did not have the opportunity to participate into the intervention. In this specific evaluation, we exploit the fact that for skilled, highly skilled and technical position, there was in place a, a recruitment process. So refugees had to apply and meet certain criteria in order to be selected to work. And given that there were not enough positions uh, available for everyone, we identified as a comparison group for the skilled, highly skilled and technical positions, those refugees who did apply, who meet the criteria, but were not selected for conducting uh, the work. For semi-skilled workers instead, as there were no selection mechanisms based on skills, we identified our comparison by randomly selecting households who were not involved in cash for work activities, and then using a statistical and econometric technique called propensity score matching, which is basically ensuring that intervention and comparison groups have the similar observable characteristics dating back before the project started. But the design didn't stop there, Francisca. Uh, can you tell me a bit the component you led on using a SenseMaker and micro-narratives as part of this evaluation? Something we've been working on as part of the effectiveness review series, but Oxfam's research in, in general as well, is to try and find a way of integrating people's lived experiences in the form of first-hand nar narratives better. And that can take various shapes and forms, and there's different tools available for that. What we did in this case is after the quantitative household survey was done, 
move on to a narrative method of inquiry called SenseMaker with the same respondents and the same interviewer. This involved asking the people who had previously uh, filled out the household survey with the interviewer to share a story about trying to access paid work whilst living in the camp. So that could have been cash for work or it could have been something else, like petty trading, for example. And then after the person has shared that narrative, short narrative, they were asked to work through a couple of follow-up questions with the interviewer to qualify the narrative. And through that process, we were trying to find out more about the reasons behind pursuing any kind of paid work opportunity, what kind of motivations people pursue and how they feel about it. What we end up with is effectively several hundreds of first-hand narratives, many of which are about cash for work, some of which are about other paid work opportunities, and a real quite quantitative sense of how people relate to those experiences. So we could go into a lot more detail about this methodology and the many very interesting stories that we've collected, some of which are also highlighted in the report that's available online. But for now, let's, let's get a sense of what the impact that we were after actually was. What are some of the main findings and do they corroborate the theory of change of this program or not? Simone. To measure household wealth, we used a statistical uh, method called principal component, which is basically bringing together information around asset ownership and housing condition and seeing how this changed over time since the project started. While to measure income, in the questionnaire we had detailed information on 15 different income sources, which are typically available uh, for refugees in a camp. And we investigated for each of these sources if the household received any income in the past 12 months. What we see is that after the matching procedure, so after making sure that the, our intervention and comparison group are truly comparable, what we see is a positive and significant impact both on changes of household wealth as well as on a total household income with an estimated difference of 23%. Uh, one of the area uh, which we were not surprised um, and um, the project has uh, demonstrated that there is a significant uh, positive impact on household income, uh, which is uh, um, uh, in accordance to the theory of change. Um, uh, so for us, it means uh, that's an area which we should uh, um, be continuing in our program uh, uh, key components, and um, but um, again, it should be linked with other aspects, um, like uh, with targeting for whom uh, this uh, result is being uh, achieved, or uh, who are benefiting from um, such a positive impact of uh, income and household income. So it's linked to uh, targeting. Now, so. Uh, our reflection is that yes, we recognize this uh, positive impact, but we need to expand to uh, to this to we should expand this impact to be achieved by more number of increased number of uh, vulnerable households, uh, which requires uh, a reconsideration of targeting. So what you've just described is the average effect on all kinds of respondents in the intervention group taken together, but effectively they have different skill levels. So what we do see as well is the so-called 
heterogeneous effects when we zoom in on specific respondent groups. So only looking at semi-skilled workers, they earn about 20 JDs per month, which is about 28 US dollars. They are in high rotation and there's no particularly strict selection process for these workers. The positive significant impact that we see in the entire sample disappears for that specific group. However, what we do see for them is some interesting effect around learning new skills, where these more low-skilled respondents that were engaged in cash flow work, where they report increasing their technical skills through the job since the beginning of the project. We also see a significant change in self-esteem for this group. So a positive change on indicators investigating self-esteem. And we also, for this group, when looking at the question about women's empowerment, we see that the exposure to cash flow work for this specific group seems to have had a positive and significant effect on opinion towards women engaged in economic work. And lastly, if we look at the area of women's empowerment for that specific subgroup of semi-skilled workers that have participated in cash flow work, the exposure to cash flow work seems to have had a positive and significant effect on their opinions towards women engaged in economic activities. Thank you, Francisca, exactly. And this is quite an interesting result to see that there is a positive and significant impact on, uh, on learning, on self-esteem, on opinions towards a woman's economic role when we dive into the results for uh, semi-skilled workers. However, we don't see the same results for the, for the entire sample. And I think this is suggesting that there are some interesting results around how the refugees and how cash flow workers are selected and what is their differential impact depending on, on uh, who these different people, on how these different people are selected. And this has probably some interesting consideration from a program perspective. I was wondering if the Shomber Noor would like to uh, expand on this. Uh, these results are like uh, for us um, uh, giving us an additional insight. Um, uh, an additional insight to the our own observation during the continuous monitoring uh, and uh, reflection process. So, like the programmatic implication is like uh, uh, we are reconsidering the selection process, the rotation basis, and the entire targeting mechanism. And we are also considering our program components. Uh, there will be a much. Uh, um, continuous reflection on these results, uh, which could be done during our program quality review. And uh, so the different, the impact on different groups will be uh, re-examined and uh, there will be a reflection in terms of uh, the areas of improvement for as part of the program design process. Uh, so uh, I think um, this is what we are uh, trying to do as of now. Having found different results for for group for the semi-skilled group and the skilled group, we have two different recruitment processes based on whether people are recruited as semi-skilled or skilled. So as a result, and what we see from the evaluation is that most people enrolled in cash for work tend to mainly be male, educated, and originally from urban areas. So this is where it might be useful to, to consider if resources can be uh, better targeted towards most marginalized groups. You know, as a humanitarian organization, the biggest question for us is if these working opportunities are distributed fairly among those in greatest need. And uh, because we've uh, had different results for 
for these different groups of people in terms of uh, opinions on gender equality, but also on uh, self-esteem and acquiring new skills, we can see that better targeting can really uh, get us to have a greater impact from the overall cash for work component. And what can we see in the results in terms of women's empowerment? The evaluation provides evidence that households involved in cash for work have a higher proportion of women involved in income generating activities. However, there is no evidence that they have views and opinions that indicate higher gender equality. Only for the group of semi-skilled workers, as mentioned before, it seems that cash for work exposure has had a positive and significant effect on their opinions towards women's economic role. So what does it mean for us? The limits of these results on opinions toward gender equality get us to rethink and review our options. So to include activities to change the social norms and gender and increase the number of women enrolled in cash for work programming to at least 40% of participants. We've had a research carried out in 2018 on how to engage more women in cash for work opportunities and uh, recommendations recommendations of these of this report are currently being implemented. For example, women are now active in cash for work activities in the recycling centers. And all of this supports the idea that we have yet to design frameworks that can better monitor shifts in gender attitudes and capture the effects of our projects on women empowerment. We're also questioning our most commonly used indicators, trying to come up with better indicators to tell us what is really happening on the ground in women's daily lives. And this requires going beyond just gender mainstreaming and uh, actually apply feminist thinking and principles to monitoring and evaluation. So it requires going beyond gender mainstreaming by applying feminist thinking and principles to monitoring and evaluation in a way that understands better and challenges the gender and power dynamics for greater impact. Thank you, Noor. This is really interesting and, and relevant. And uh, linked to, to that point around the uh, changing the way we conduct evaluation and research, I would like to ask Francisca to, uh, to present and expand the, the findings around the use of SenseMaker in this evaluation. So the fact that we included a narrative component into this evaluation really gives us access to an amazing, amazing collection of lived realities from the people that we otherwise only collect hard indicators from, which are important. But the addition of the narrative layer really allows us to corroborate and question and confirm some of the trends that we see in the evaluation otherwise. So many of the stories shared by refugees that are engaged in either cash for work or try to access other paid work opportunities are about both the access, so the difficulty of finding any kind of paid work inside the camp, and then about the experience on those jobs. So we asked the respondents to give us just a quick summary of what happened when they were trying to access a paid work opportunity in the camp. So they told us many stories about their experiences of cash for work, the fact that they enjoy it, there's a lot coming out about the consistency and the reliability of having a contract with an agency like Oxfam or another agency operating a cash for work scheme that makes life a bit easier. When you know you have a job 
to go to and you know when your income however small it is is going to be paid that makes life much more predictable and easy to manage the frustration that comes out when these contracts end the frustration that comes out when people want to access these jobs that they know they have either done in the past or they have the right skills to do but they can't access them because there aren't enough of them or they have recently done them and don't qualify so those are some of the lived realities of trying to do these kinds of jobs we also asked a question about what the main motivation was behind pursuing the per specific example that people are talking about and we give different options and ask people to sort of self code Uh, what the dominant one was in their example. And we can really see that pursuing these kinds of jobs is about getting access to income. When really there's a, there are several elements that could play in here. It could be mostly about just getting out of the house and having something regular in your day that keeps you busy. Or it could be mostly about trying to build new skills. We can see from the data that is following the stories that people really say, that access to the income that they get through these jobs, however low it is, is the main motivation for going out and working. Thank you, Francisca. I think this is really interesting. I was wondering if you have some narratives that really struck you or really reveal some important points uh, that you would like to share. Let me share two of the narratives with themes that come up a lot when we look at these several hundred lived experiences. The first person told us, I looked for a job with Oxfam and was hired as a guard. I was satisfied until they cancelled my contract. Then I started working in harvesting vegetables, which is not a consistent job and it's not well paid. I have illnesses and I need to find a job that suits my condition. The work in harvesting vegetables has affected me and my family negatively. The second one was... I worked with Oxfam for three years. I finished six months ago. I worked in sanitation. Then I was promoted to be a supervisor because of my past experience. Moderate income, but good work environment. My contract ended and I have since seeking to return to work with Oxfam. So these two stories gives you a sense of the kind of choices people are faced with and the kinds of progression that they go through as they try out different types of jobs and are trying to retain a level of consistency in their working lives and retaining a source of income over time. And it also gives you a flavor of how people feel about agencies that operate cash for work, how they feel about Oxfam. And this leads us nicely to our findings about people's opinions about the scheme. So this was a dedicated part of the survey a piece of monitoring, not about impact or counterfactual, but monitoring around how people feel about the scheme and how they feel about Oxfam. And I would like to ask Kishome what he thinks about those findings about opinions from refugees working in cash for work for Oxfam. The general opinion among people uh, towards cash for work activities is uh, overall positive, especially with regards to uh, respecting dignity and working in a safe environment. Uh, but uh, people, um, most people, around 51% uh, of the, uh, those people who were benefiting from cash for work, they do not think uh, the cash for work scheme is uh, fair and accessible. And um, this gives us quite a lot in terms of the works to, do, to be done. And um, we are uh, working on um, improving the opinion of uh, um, people um, by providing uh, 
a more adequate and accessible information about cash for work. We are improving also, we are trying also planning to improve the targeting process, which has to do also with uh, accessibility. accessibility. And uh, we are also working on selection process, which has to do with the fairness of the process as well. Thank you, Teshome. And uh, in the spirit of ensuring that these evaluations and, uh, and this evidence is used uh, into programs, I was wondering if uh, Noor can uh, expand on uh, how this evidence is used into programs and what are the, the main learning and, and take-offs coming from, from this. So this is a great learning opportunity for all actors in the camp employing cash for workers. The findings and uh, best practices coming from our response actions to achieve the intended change will be shared and discussed among the humanitarian community. And, uh, you know, it's becoming more and more acknowledged that measurement and evaluation are not just tools for enforcement and accountability, but also as means of understanding and learning thus changing our strategies when needed. And Oxfam, as the organization employing the highest number of cash flow workers in the camp, uh, so around 30% of the total number of cash flow workers employed by all partners, Oxfam is in a key position to lead towards the desired structural change. Our uh, economic justice team is uh, preparing a policy briefing paper uh, using these results. Uh, so uh, the intention is... Uh, uh, to share uh, this uh, briefing with donors and uh, other stakeholders in Jordan. Uh, it will, it's uh, believed to increase our program visibility, increase funding opportunities, and also expand learning across uh, uh, other actors. Um, that's part of one of the concrete uh, takeaway action from this effectiveness review by us. Thank you, Tishomi and Laura. Those were some great points and really important to hear how the team has taken the findings into account. I'm afraid we're now running out of time, so we need to wrap up. And I wanted to say that one of the things that really stand out for me from this evaluation is the fact that it's really reassuring to see the average effect that the Cash for Work program has had on participants in terms of income and wealth. But it's also fantastic to see that doing an evaluation in this specific way with this specific design allows us to zoom in on specific groups of people and see for who it works well and works less well. Thank you to everyone for joining, especially Noor and Tishome from Amman. Thank you for having us. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for discussing. Uh, Simone, thank you as well. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you'd like to access the actual report, you can find it on the Oxfam Policy and Practice website. And remember, if you want to hear more from the Real Geek series, you can subscribe to this show on all major podcast providers. Bye.